0: Chapter Sixteen of Janet's Repentance from Scenes of Clerical Life by George Eliot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Chapter Sixteen. Janet lay still as she had promised, but the tea which had warmed her and given her a sense of greater bodily ease had only heightened the previous excitement of her brain. Her ideas had a new vividness which made her feel as if she had only seen life through a dim haze before. Her thoughts, instead of springing from the action of her own mind, were external existences that thrust themselves imperiously upon her like haunting visions. The future took shape after shape of misery before her, always ending in her being dragged back again to her old life of terror and stupor and fevered despair. Her husband had so long overshadowed her life that her imagination could not keep hold of a condition in which that great dread was absent. And even his absence, what was it, only a dreary, vacant flat, where there was nothing to strive after, nothing to long for. At last the light of morning quenched the rushlight, and Janet's thoughts became more and more fragmentary and confused she was every moment slipping off the level on which she lay thinking down down into some depth from which she tried to rise again with a start slumber was stealing over her weary brain that uneasy slumber which is only better than wretched waking because the life we seemed to live in it determines no wretched future because the things we do and suffer in it are but hateful shadows and leave no impress that petrifies into an irrevocable past. She had scarcely been asleep an hour, when her movements became more violent, her mutterings more frequent and agitated, till at last she started up, with a smothered cry, and looked wildly round her, shaking with terror. "'Don't be frightened, dear Mrs. Dempster,' said Mrs. Pettifer, who was up and dressing. "'You are with me, your old friend, Mrs. Pettifer. Nothing will harm you." Janet sank back again on her pillow, still trembling. After lying silent a little while, she said, "'It was a horrible dream. Dear Mrs. Pettiford, don't let anyone know I am here. Keep it a secret. If he finds out, he will come and drag me back again.' "'No, my dear, depend on me. I've just thought I shall send the servant home on a holiday. I've promised her a good while. I'll send her away as soon as she's had her breakfast, and she'll have no occasion to know you're here. There's no holding servants' tongues if you let them know anything. What they don't know they won't tell. You may trust them so far. But shouldn't you like me to go and fetch your mother? No, not yet, not yet. I can't bear to see her yet. Well, it shall be just as you like. Now try and get to sleep again. I shall leave you for an hour or two and send off Phoebe, and then bring you some breakfast. I'll lock the door behind me so that the girl mayn't come in by chance." The daylight changes the aspect of misery to us as of everything else. In the night it presses on our imagination. The forms it takes are false, fitful, exaggerated. In broad day it sickens our sense with the dreary persistence of definite, measurable reality. The man who looks with ghastly horror on all his property aflame in the dead of night has not half the sense of destitution he will have in the morning when he walks over the ruins lying blackened in the pitiless sunshine. That moment of intensest depression was come to Janet when the daylight which showed her the walls and chairs and tables and all the commonplace reality that surrounded her seemed to lay bare the future too and bring out into oppressive distinctness all the details of a weary life to be lived from day to day with no hope to strengthen her against that evil habit which she loathed in retrospect and yet was powerless to resist her husband would never consent to her living away from him; she was become necessary to his tyranny; he would never willingly loosen his grasp on her. She had a vague notion of some protection the law might give her, if she could prove her life in danger from him; but she shrank utterly, as she had always done, from any active public resistance or vengeance. She felt too crushed, too faulty, too liable to reproach, to have the courage, even if she had had the wish, to put herself openly in the position of a wronged woman seeking redress. She had no strength to sustain her in a course of self-defense and independence. There was a darker shadow over her life than the dread of her husband. It was the shadow of self-despair. The easiest thing would be to go away and hide herself from him. But then there was her mother— Robert had all her little property in his hands, and that little was scarcely enough to keep her in comfort without his aid. If Janet went away alone, he would be sure to persecute her mother. And if she did go away, what then? She must work to maintain herself, she must exert herself, weary and hopeless as she was, to begin life afresh. How hard that seemed to her! Janet's nature did not belie her grand face and form. There was energy, there was strength in it, but it was the strength of the vine, which must have its broad leaves and rich clusters borne up by a firm stay, and now she had nothing to rest on, no faith, no love. If her mother had been very feeble, aged, or sickly, Janet's deep pity and tenderness might have made a daughter's duties an interest and a solace. But Mrs. Raynor had never needed tendance. She had always been giving help to her daughter. She had always been a sort of humble, ministering spirit, and it was one of Janet's pangs of memory that, instead of being her mother's comfort, she had been her mother's trial. Everywhere the same sadness, Her life was a sun-dried, barren tract, where there was no shadow, and where all the waters were bitter. No, she suddenly thought, and the thought was like an electric shock, there was one spot in her memory which seemed to promise her an untried spring, where the waters might be sweet. That short interview with Mr. Tryon had come back upon her. His voice, his words, his look, which told her that he knew sorrow. His words have implied that he thought his death was near, yet he had a faith which enabled him to labor, enabled him to give comfort to others. That look of his came back on her with a vividness greater than it had had for her in reality. Surely he knew more of the secrets of sorrow than other men, Perhaps he had some message of comfort, different from the feeble words she had been used to hear from others. She was tired; she was sick of that barren exhortation, Do right and keep a clear conscience, and God will reward you, and your troubles will be easier to bear. She wanted strength to do right; she wanted something to rely on besides her own resolutions; for was not the path behind her all strewn with broken resolutions? how could she trust in new ones she had often heard mr tryan laughed at for being fond of great sinners she began to see a new meaning in those words he would perhaps understand her helplessness her wants if she could pour out her heart to him if she could for the first time in her life unlock all the chambers of her soul The impulse to confession almost always requires the presence of a fresh ear and a fresh heart, and in our moments of spiritual need the man to whom we have no tie but our common nature seems nearer to us than mother, brother, or friend. Our daily familiar life is but a hiding of ourselves from each other behind a screen of trivial words and deeds, and those who sit with us at the same hearth are often the farthest off from the deep human soul within us, full of unspoken evil and unacted good. When Mrs. Pettifer came back to her, turning the key and opening the door very gently, Janet, instead of being asleep, as her good friend had hoped, was intensely occupied with her new thought. She longed to ask Mrs. Pettifer if she could see Mr. Tryan. But she was arrested by doubts and timidity he might not feel for her he might be shocked at her confession he might talk to her of doctrines she could not understand or believe she could not make up her mind yet but she was too restless under this mental struggle to remain in bed mrs pettifer she said i can't lie here any longer i must get up will you lend me some clothes Wrapped in such drapery as Mrs. Pettifer could find for her tall figure, Janet went down into the little parlour and tried to take some of the breakfast her friend had prepared for her. But her effort was not a successful one. Her cup of tea and bit of toast were only half finished. The leaden weight of discouragement pressed upon her more and more heavily. The wind had fallen, and a drizzling rain had come on. There was no prospect from Mrs. Pettifer's parlour but a blank wall, and as Janet looked out at the window, the rain and the smoke-blackened bricks seemed to blend themselves in sickening identity with her desolation of spirit and the headachey weariness of her body. Mrs. Pettifer got through her household work as soon as she could, and sat down with her sewing, hoping that Janet would perhaps be able to talk a little of what had passed, and find some relief by unbosoming herself in that way. But Janet could not speak to her. She was importuned with the longing to see Mr. Tryon, and yet hesitating to express it. Two hours passed in this way, the rain went on drizzling, and Janet sat still, leaning her aching head on her hand, and looking alternately at the fire and out of the window. She felt this could not last, this motionless, vacant misery. She must determine on something, she must take some step. And yet everything was so difficult. It was one o'clock, and Mrs. Pettifer rose from her seat, saying, I must go and see about dinner. The movement and the sound startled Janet from her reverie. It seemed as if an opportunity were escaping her, and she said hastily, Is Mr Tryon in the town today, do you think? No, I should think not, being Saturday, you know, said Mrs. Pettifer, her face lighting up with pleasure. But he would come if he was sent for. I can send Jesson's boy with a note to him any time. Should you like to see him? Yes, I think I should. Then I'll send for him this instant. End of chapter 16 of Janet's Repentance